this particular section that we're going to look at in this time, very, very, very special sense of significance in my own heart and in my own life. And I believe much of that goes back to that experience that I had in January 1990 that I shared with you earlier when the heavens opened and the glory of God came upon me in such a powerful way and God began to speak to me about the coming revival that He's going to send in the earth. And that is that we learn to treat His glory with respect. A man or a woman or a church that has very, very little respect or reverence for the presence of God is saying, I have never really experienced very much of the presence of God. Simply because I understand well what that scripture means where the Bible says that when we see the Lord, every knee is going to bend, every head's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess, every cynical, skeptical mouth is going to be silenced. When we really have a revelation of who He is, I mean, remember John in Revelation chapter 1. This is John the Beloved that had been close to Jesus for three years, had traveled, was in all of his meetings, spent three years of his life in the presence of Jesus when he walked upon the earth. And yet John's own testimony in Revelation chapter 1 is on the Isle of Patmos on the Sabbath. And he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the heavens opened and he had this marvelous experience with the Lord But he saw the real Jesus. He saw the glorified Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. And when he saw the real Jesus, the glorified Jesus, brothers and sisters, it says, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He had spent three years in the presence of the earthly Jesus. But when he had a real revelation of who Jesus is, it was one of the most frightful terrifying experiences of John's life. And the Lord touched him and said, don't be afraid, and raised him up. And you know the rest of the story, how ultimately he went on to write the last book of the Bible. Beloved, when we really have a revelation of glory, we must understand that with that revelation of glory comes a great responsibility to treat God with great respect. That's one of the things I appreciate so very, very much about our Catholic brothers and sisters is in many places the theology is wrong. In many places things are out of order. In many places people are deceived, believing that by works that they can enter heaven and be saved. But many, 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 many millions and millions and millions of Catholic brothers and sisters are our brothers and sisters that don't have faith in religion. They have faith in Jesus and they have a living relationship with Him. And they love Him with all their heart and they worship Him and they know Him and they walk in His presence. One of the things I appreciate about our brothers and our sisters in Catholicism is the fact that they have a reverence for God and a respect for God that, how do I say it, is noticeably, and that's being quite polite, missing in most of our churches and in fact in the lives of most Christians is we come to God and we experience God at some level and we just think we can just go on the same way. But with the revelation, there comes a responsibility. And it's a fearful thing. I mean, the scripture that we used at the beginning of this lesson taken from Psalms is God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. 
Now, let me time out. Time out. I want everybody to hear this, not just with your heads, but in your heart. God wants us to love Him with abandonment. He wants us to love Him. He does not want us cowering in the corner like frightened, afraid, abused children. He's not that kind of a father. He's full of grace and mercy and kindness and love that daily loads us with benefits that throughout all the eons of time in the future, He will be revealing even more and greater and larger portions of Himself and our inheritance to us when we go to heaven. God is good all the time, or so the song says. He really is. But many times we make the mistake of prevailing upon His love and His mercy and His kindness and His grace and thinking, Because we're his favorite kids and he loves us so much and he's so full of grace, he's so full of mercy, he's so kind and he's just so sweet to me that we can treat him any way we want to treat him. And in the coming revival, in the coming revelation of what God is going to do in the earth, he is not only going to come in grace and mercy and love and kindness and gentleness, and all of these other things. But He is going to come in His glory, in His power, and in His holiness, and get the attention of His kids, and get the attention of His church. The Bible says that Jesus is coming for a glorious church. He's not coming for a slut. He's not coming for a tramp that lives any old way, does any old thing, behaves in any manner they so choose But he's coming for a church that the Bible is referring to when it says, be holy even as he is holy. And that holiness, I believe, is going to come with a greater revelation, not just of his love, his presence, his peace, his power, his joy, and all these blessings, but a greater revelation of his personality. He's going to get our attention, and that's going to be a good thing when it comes. God wants us to love him with abandonment, Worship Him in spirit. Worship Him in truth. But let's don't play games with Him. Let's don't play games with Him. For in the coming days, His glory is going to come in such a measure that to play God games in those days is going to be dangerous. Very, very, very dangerous. Now we've said repeatedly that glory is the manifested presence of God And if we really understand that when His glory comes, and it really is His manifested presence, church, we need to show Him the honor and the respect that He so rightfully deserves. Now, this is a radical statement for some people. Here tonight, perhaps, the greatest honor that a man or a woman can ever experience in this life is to stand in the presence of God. There is no greater It is greater than a trip to the White House to stand in the presence of the President. It is greater than a trip to Parliament to stand in the presence of the Prime Minister. It is greater than the opportunity to go to Buckingham Palace and stand in the presence of the Queen of England. My brothers and sisters, when we stand in the presence of God, when we stand in the glory of God, which is the hallmark of what God is doing at this moment in the earth, and is very, very soon going to radically increase and turn up the intensity to a higher level. 
when we stand in the presence of God, when we stand in the glory of God, we need to recognize it for the high, holy, sacred privilege. Understanding that entire generations of Christians have lived their entire lives in faith, loving God, serving God, praying, reading the Bible, going to church, tithing and giving, and doing all that they needed to do in the life that they were given, and never once, never once experienced what we're beginning to experience in our generation and what is going to become even more predominant in the generation that is arising at this moment in the earth should Jesus tarry a few more years. When His glory comes, we must respect Him. Turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 3. We've alluded to this scripture already, but it is the story of Moses and Moses' first encounter with God's glory on the backside of a wilderness where he was taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's flock. Verse 2 of Exodus 3, And the angel of the Lord... Now, church, I believe this was Jesus. Anytime in the Old Testament you find a reference to the angel of the Lord, and angel is spelled with a capital A, that is what Bible scholars, theologians that believe the Bible, refer to as a theophany or a Christophany, which is actually an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Jesus appeared at least 27 times in the Old Testament. I'll let you go and find the rest of them. But Jesus was a part of the Old Testament as well as the New. Verse 2 says, The angel of the Lord, and I believe that that was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of this bush. So Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush does not burn. Now Moses was curious. It was simple human curiosity. He's out here in the middle of nowhere. A bush is ablaze with fire, and yet the bush is not being consumed by the fire. Moses had never seen anything that looked quite like this. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I will now turn aside out of curiosity, human curiosity, and see this great sight while the bush doesn't burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him, there it is, God called to him, not a fire talked to him, but God called to him from the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. And the Lord said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. It's interesting that the first thing the Lord spoke to Moses in his very first encounter with glory was about this issue of holiness. Moses came for curiosity purposes. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Moses, the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Take off your shoes. In other words, don't come trampling around, stomping around in dirty shoes in the glory of my presence. Show the glory of my presence respect. Show the glory of my presence reverence. Show the glory of my presence honor. 
give praise and worship brokenness in this glory. He said, Moses, I want you barefooted. I want you to come with bare feet. One of the things that God is desiring in the church at this hour is to fill the church with His glory. He will fill a church with His glory, but for that glory to be sustained, He expects to see repentance, and He expects to see change, and things done differently, and sin put under the blood, and the fruit of holiness, because God desires to see a barefoot church that respects His presence. His glory deserves and demands our respect. Because His glory is His presence among us, He deserves and demands to be honored and respected in the assembly of His people. I want to use some examples in Scripture where this is found. The first one is in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, God has been abiding over His people by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Water has been flowing out of a rock Bread has been coming down from the sky. They've all been made rich. They've all been blessed. They've all been healed. How many think that sounds like a pretty good church where everybody got healed, everybody got blessed financially, everyone came out of bondage, everyone came out of slavery? You see, most of the teaching in the church today It's about how to get well, how to be happy, how to have joy, how to have peace, how to be successful, how to be rich, how to be healthy, how to walk in divine health, how to be blessed in every, blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed going out and blessed coming in, how to become the head and not the tail, how to go over and not under, and I believe in it all, hallelujah. Please, no one here tonight mistake me at all by thinking for one heartbeat that I'm saying we shouldn't pursue those things. The Bible says don't forget all your benefits. All those things are some of our package, some of our benefits that were purchased for us when Jesus died on the cross for us. We're not negating them at all. But church, there's a higher place in God than blessing. There's a higher place in God than just blessing. That place is a place of obedience. That is a place of true worship. That is a place of surrender of our lives. We have some tape series in our ministry that we offer when we travel. I have a tape series called Living Under an Open Heaven. It's about four hours of teaching on how to live under an open heaven where the presence of God comes, the power of God, the anointing of God, the favor of God, the blessings of God, finances, and every good thing comes freely from the Father's hand into our lives. Did you know that that type series sells probably five to one over the other type series? Because everybody wants the blessings. It's the old American way. You know, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. Take all you can gimme. And that's kind of the way it works. That's kind of the mentality that many Christians have. We've got that type series on living under an open heaven. People buy them by the arm loads and take them out. Did you know that we can do a type on yielding to the Holy Spirit, death to self, bearing the cross, absolute surrender, and you can't give them to people for free? (laughs) Don't want to hear that. Don't tell me about that cross thing. Don't tell me this thing's going to cost me something. 
just teach me how I can live under an open heaven and get blessed and God prosper me and bless me and fill me and heal me and me, 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 me. It's all about me because my name's Jimmy and I'll take all you can give me. And just come on, God, more, Lord, more, more. That's the mentality that we have. But, beloved, there's something bigger in God than blessing. And that's a place of His glory. And we can live, listen to me, we can live in a measure of great blessing and stay the same. Now, that's a radical thought for some people. Some people say, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because a lot of people do it. <laughs> Their lives prove it out. I mean, you be a tither and a giver, God's going to bless you. It's just that simple. God always honors His Word. But when the glory comes, when the glory of His manifested presence comes, beloved, there's got to be change. There's got to be repentance. And Acts chapter 19 is about these people that have been healed, they've been made rich, they've been blessed, 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 and blessed some more by God. Already they've been blessed. And Moses is there with them, and God comes to Moses, and God says to Moses, Moses, tell the people to get ready, because in three days I'm coming down. Tell them to get ready. Moses, tell them to stay back. Tell them to keep their kids back, their cattle back, their animals back. Because in three days from today, I am going to come down on the mountain. And I'm going to appear. You're going to see a side of me you've never seen before, son. So you tell all those people, you tell my family, you tell my children, you tell my people to get ready. Because three days, Moses, just three days, mark it on your calendar. We've got a date. I'm coming. Moses tells the people to prepare. Three days transpires. And on the morning of the third day, Exodus 19, I tell these stories, and I trust you to go read it and study it on your own. Three days later in the morning, the glory comes on the mountain. It's not just a river of water flowing out of a rock. It's not bread just falling out of the sky. It's not just more money and more riches and more healing and more blessing and the comforting, abiding Shekinah presence of God this day he came in power. Lightning, thunder, fire, smoke, earthquake. And Moses goes up to meet with God. And God tells him, get away. Go back and tell the people to stay away. Remind them, lest I break out and consume them. And in Exodus 19, we see this indescribable display of shock and awe of the power of God, of the glory of God, that people were fearful, people were shaking, people didn't know what was going to happen to them because the God that's just kind of been hanging around, providing all the goodies, bringing all the blessings, now he's pulled back another veil and now we're seeing a side of him we've not seen before and we're fearful, we're fearful. It's an amazing account in Exodus 19. But if you go on and read Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses says to the people, don't be afraid. Exodus 20, 20, don't be afraid. For God has, I'm paraphrasing now, God has come to test you. God has come to reveal His power and His glory and His might unto you for one reason that you not sin, that you not sin. 
I remember back in 1997, I was in a morning meeting in a church in Buffalo, New York. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The time was about 11.30. I know that because they had a big clock on the back of the wall of the church. And I had just glanced up at the clock when I felt, as it were, like a breeze, like a gentle breeze of the presence of God that just came over me. I have totally forgotten what I was preaching on or teaching on that day, but it had absolutely nothing to do with what God did that day. It was like somebody had opened the doors of that church in a frigid, icy cold Buffalo, New York in wintertime, and the wind of God had come through and touched me with His presence and His glory as I was standing there behind the pulpit. And what happened next was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. It was literally as though the Lord walked right down the center aisle of the church. And the reason I know that that's what happened is it started in the back and he was walking at a speed of about like this. And every time he would pass a row of people, suddenly they would break into wailing and weeping over sin. People in the front of the building were looking back thinking, well, what's wrong? What's going on? And it was like row, it was like dominoes. As he was walking at about the speed of a bride making her way down the aisle to join the groom at the altar for the wedding ceremony. As he passed down the aisle, row after row after row of people would just erupt in this weeping and sorrow over their sin. By the time it got to the front row, people were totally oblivious to the meeting. They were totally oblivious to me, which was fine by me. We just want God to come to church. Everywhere we go, we don't go to have a meeting. We don't go to have a program. We just want God to come. But people were literally jumping out of those church pews and running and diving. I mean, some of the men were sailing through the air, physically sailing through the air onto the front of that church and the altar, the steps of that church, crying out for mercy, mercy, mercy. Because that day in that meeting, people saw the holiness of God. It started at 1130. At 12.30, it was still going on. At 1.30, it was still going on. At 2 o'clock, it was still going on. The pastor looks at me. He said, what do you want to do? And we just decided God was there. He'd been doing a good job for the last two and a half hours without us. We'd go eat lunch. Those people were still there that night at 7 o'clock when he came back from the evening meeting. That pastor today says those people that were in that morning meeting, they've never been the same again because they saw a side of God and they felt a side of God that suddenly they took the seriousness of sin. One of the things we struggle with in revival and in renewal are people that just are happy to come to the river of God to drink of the new wine, to chug a lug, you know, have a double dose of the Holy Ghost, and they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue the awesomeness of the power that they're touching. And in this particular incident, in Exodus 19, God revealed Himself unto them And the reason he did it in such a dramatic way is that they learn not to sin against him. That they learn not to sin against him. The second account that I want to touch upon quickly tonight 
is the account of 2 Samuel chapter 6. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find the story of David. And David was a man after God's own heart. And David wanted to bring the ark back. The ark had been in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. And so David took 30,000 men and a new cart and went to the house of Abinadab to retrieve the ark of the covenant which carried the glory. They took a new cart that was pulled by oxen. Now, when God instituted the Ark of the Covenant, He gave very, very clear, express instructions how it was to be transported. It was not to be carried on an ox cart. It was not to be carried in a wagon. It was to be carried on long poles inserted in the rings on the outside of the Ark on the shoulders of the Levites. And so David had gone to the house of Abinadab, had retrieved the Ark of the Covenant that carried the glory And they had put the ark on the back of this new cart that was pulled by an ox. And so it was, they were on their way home with it. And the Bible says that they came to a place and one of the ox stumbled. And when that happened, one of the sons, and it's so interesting to note that it was a son of Abinadab, a man by the name of Uzzah. Uzzah had grown up around that ark. His daddy had had that ark for 20 years. We don't know how old Uzzah was, but he'd either been around that ark 20 years or the ark came before he came. And he'd been around it all of his life, or a good part of his life. And brothers and sisters, when the oxen stumbled, the ark on the back of the cart was jostled. And Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, that had been around this ark all of his life and had lost respect for it. He had respect for it at a certain level, I'm sure. But, hey, I've been around the ark all my life. When the ark was jostled, Yuza stretched out his hand. And when he did, he touched that glory and it killed him. Just like that. I mean, you talk about somebody being slain in the spirit. He was slain in the spirit. He killed instantly. He never even saw it coming. He was killed so quickly. Because he had dared to touch that holy fire, that Shekinah glory that rested over the mercy seat. The sin of Uzzah was that he took the glory of God for granted. Let me repeat it again. God's looking for a barefoot church. He wants a barefoot church, a barefoot people. That when we approach the blessing of His presence and His glory, we show honor and we respect it. And Yusa had become familiar, taken it for granted. Oh, I've been here all my life. As we travel to the churches that God sends us to, some of the hardest churches that we ever go, and everywhere God's ever sent us, we've had great revival. God's come, the glory's come, people have been saved and touched and blessed and healed and delivered. To God be the glory for everything that He's always done in the meetings. But the hardest places that we've ever gone to see the church broken open in the presence of God fill it, unfortunately, has been Pentecostal churches. And the reason for that is many Pentecostal charismatic people feel they never say it, they would never articulate it quite this way, But the mindset that many people have is, oh yes, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, 
this is just so what? And they've lost their honor and they've lost their respect for the holiness of God when He comes in His glory, when He comes in His manifested presence. And what Yuza did that day was so similar to what God sees in the hearts of so many of us today, particularly when we think, well, we can just do whatever we want to do, live however we want to live, be whatever we want to be. God loves me, and I'm just His favorite little baby here. And We've lost our respect and our honor and our reverence for His presence in our midst, and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Some people get upset with me when I say this, and I don't mean to say this with arrogance in my heart but sometimes I'm right. The only thing that holds revival up in America today, it's not Hollywood, it's not liberals, it's not drug dealers, it's not pornographers, it's the indifference of the hearts of God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. Whose sin? Hollywood's sin? No, the church's sin. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Christians think if we can just elect enough Republicans, everything's going to be all right. Beloved, we've got to come to the place of desperation and hunger and thirst and reverence and honor and a passionate love for God in the church again. And that's the only thing that's going to make it all right. It's not about the party affiliation or the candidate or anything else. It's when we come to that place. Moving right along. The third example quickly that I want to highlight tonight is the story of Ananias and Sapphira as was recorded in Acts chapter 5. Turn over there with me very quickly and let's touch on these scriptures. Now remember that the church is ablaze with the glory of God when Acts chapter 5 was recorded. In Acts chapter 5 verse 1, the Bible says, A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife, who being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon the church when Ananias died. And young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her and said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together? To test, to test the Spirit of the Lord. What is glory? Glory is the manifested presence of a person. Who's the person? The presence of the Holy Spirit. The glory was in that meeting. How is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those that buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. Verse 11 says, So great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. They had promised God that they were going to sell a piece of land. 
and they were going to give the whole amount to the kingdom. Jesus said, if you give, it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. No man, no woman will ever outgive God. God will never be a debtor to any of us. Whatever we give to Him, time, ability, money, whatever we give to God, God is going to give it back to us. Blessed, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, coming back in our lives. So Ananias and Sapphira were givers. They were going to sell a piece of land and give the proceeds. Now, under normal conditions, that should have brought great blessing in their life. However, they got the money and they said, no one will ever know. Let's keep back part of the proceeds from the sale. We'll give the balance to God. No one will ever know the difference and everything will work out okay. And so Ananias is in the meeting. And obviously the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter, tells him what's going on. And Peter asks him just straight up and down, Brother Ananias, we're so happy that you could be here tonight, my brother. Brother Ananias, how much did you sell the land for? And Ananias lied. And Peter spoke to him and said, How did you think that you could concoct this scheme to lie to the Holy Ghost and scheme against God? Peter spoke to him, and Ananias dropped dead. And they carried him out and buried him. Three hours later, Sapphira's running late to the meeting, and Peter preached a long time too. Ananias is already dead and buried. Sapphira comes bebopping into the meeting. Three hours later, Peter stops the meeting and says, Sister Sapphira, we're so glad you could join us. Sister Sapphira, how much was the price of the land that you sold? And she remembered what she had discussed with her dead husband, Ananias. And she said, oh, Brother Peter, we sold it for X amount. And we gave that in the offering. And Peter said, Sapphira, how did you think that you could come and test the Holy Ghost? Pressure God. Do this kind of thing to God. The feet that buried your husband are standing at the door. and They're going to take you out too. And Sapphira drops dead. Now, what would Mike Wallace in 60 Minutes or Diane Sawyer in 2020 do with that? But this good couple, you know, that gave the price of the land and got killed in church, you know, you better stay away from that place. The problem here was not the breaking of a commitment. Brothers and sisters, let's be real. I mean, let's be real with everybody. If God killed all of his kids that broke a commitment, we'd have an empty classroom here tonight and you listening by video, you wouldn't be here either. The churches would stand empty. Every one of us has broken a commitment, and God never killed us. To understand why this happened, we need to read a few verses further to see what was going on. The Bible says in verse 14 of that same chapter, chapter 5, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Revival was in the land. They were living under an open heaven. The river of God was flowing. The fire of God was falling in such a measure that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those that were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira is that they willfully and deliberately sinned in the manifest presence of God in such a measure, church, that Peter was walking under an open heaven that he didn't even have to pray for people. 
All he had to do was get as far as I am from you right now. And that open heaven, that glory, the disciples saw on Jesus that night on that mountain was on Peter. He'd taken up that mantle of glory. And anybody that got close enough to come as far as I am to you right now was being healed miraculously just like that. Devils were coming out of people just by the fact that he walked by them. What killed Ananias and Sapphira was not that they broke their commitment to God. What killed Ananias and Sapphira is they came to that meeting where the glory of God was being so powerfully displayed, where the anointing of God was flowing like Niagara, where the river of God was there and the blessing of God, the Spirit of God, the holiness of God was in that place. And in that environment, they willfully and deliberately sinned by lying unto God. And because of that, they died in that glory. You see, the day's coming, and some people sort of stare at me like an old cow looking at a new gate when I say this. But I'm telling you, as this thing increases, and as this thing that God is doing increases in the earth, we're going to see funerals again. We're going to learn to be a barefoot church and walk in the presence of God. It's the Spirit is His glory. It's important the way we treat His presence among us. Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. The church's attitude toward the way we treat the Holy Spirit will determine the measure of blessing later. The church's attitude toward the way we treat the person of the Holy Spirit is going to determine the measure of that church's blessing later. The glory of God is so precious. No greater honor can we ever know in this life than to stand in His presence. But beloved, we've got to be a barefoot people and a barefoot church and don't mess around. The days of revival are coming, but the days of Ananias and Sapphira are coming. Praise God, it's time. Let me quickly in closing address one simple issue. Why is the presence of the Holy Spirit so fragile? Why is it that the Holy Spirit seemingly, from our experience, is so easily grieved? Why is it that the Holy Spirit is so easily quenched? One reason is that God has given us a free will to choose. We have that choice that we can make in our lives. But there's a second reason for that. And I believe the reason the presence of God, the anointing of God is so fragile is because of His great mercy. It's not that the Holy Spirit is this weak, wimpy, got His feelings on His sleeve, comes around, oh, they hurt my feelings. I have to leave now. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. They wounded me. They offended me. Nobody loves me. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. The Holy Spirit is the most powerful personality of the universe. Why is His presence so fragile? Because of His great mercy. Because my brothers and sisters, I mean, I just feel the presence of God all over me right now just talking about this. It's wonderful. The reason His presence is so fragile is what Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. 
And when the Holy Spirit comes and reveals a measure of His presence and of His glory and His life among us in our lives and in the church, and we walk around and stomp on it with dirty feet in our hearts, dirty feet in our attitudes, dirty feet of our words and our thinking and our unbelief and all those other things, He withdraws because of His mercy that the grievous nature of the sin that we are committing not be held against us. We have no idea the horribleness of sin from God's perspective, the horribleness of indifference and familiarity from God's perspective. He wants a barefooted church, and He's raising one up in the earth tonight that knows how to host the Holy Ghost in the days coming. Amen?